I can't think of anything this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 344 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by English Dan. Hello and welcome. I'm glad to see you're in an inspired mood tonight, Sam, to Thank really you, yeah. get the cobwebs out uh, there. You might have picked up on my really bright um, mood, which, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to have a drink and talk about football for a bit now, so it's going to improve. Um, there is one... Really big game to tell you the result of since we last recorded. Argentina 2, Quata 0. You're probably already aware of that, but, you know, it is tradition. Uh, There are a couple of smaller ones as well, and we'll get on to those a bit later, which don't involve the national team, obviously. So uh, I'm not going to spoil anything just yet. I'm not going to read out any scores or tell you uh, whether any matches did or didn't actually end up finishing. Um, Yeah, national team first of all. Argentina got a 2-0 win over Cuatro with goals from Lautaro Martinez and Sergio Aguero on Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> we did this already just a minute before I switched the microphone. We're doing really well today. Yeah. Bear with us. Uh, I was quite happy with myself as I was saying Saturday for not saying on Friday. And then I was like, oh no, Saturday's the long day as well. Um, <laughs> a day. It, for some reason it seems like ages ago. And it's only Wednesday evening, so I can't work out why a game on Saturday seems like such a long time ago. Um... It was never in doubt, really. Argentina qualified from the group stage. Uh, yes. Obviously going to go on and lift their 15th Copa America now. Of course, yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, Argentina, they won. I think that's the kindest thing they, we can say about that game. They looked all right, but only really all right compared to what we'd seen in, in the opening two games against Colombia and Paraguay. It was I'm guessing a massive improvement. It was, but against I mean, a team that wasn't as good, good, not on the same level. Yeah, And yeah, I mean, they got a hell of a stroke of luck really early um, with, uh, I did know the Quata keeper's name a while ago, but I've obviously forgotten it. So oh, we'll say the Quata goalkeeper. Sorry, I'll go and get my phone. Who so haphazardly, yes, who haphazardly uh, kicked, yeah, gave away a goal kick. Right into the feet of Lautaro Martinez. It wasn't the goalkeeper, though. It was one of the centre-backs. Was it the centre-back? Yep. Ah, there we go. It was. Uh, let me this is why goalkeepers should always take goal kicks, and no one else should go near them. This is... It's football, it's football common sense, basically. It never works. But it was very impressive from Lautaro, at least, to, to keep following the move, and he showed very good reflexes to close down instantaneously, and he finished very nicely as well. Um, cementing his place as the top scorer by far under Lionel Scaloni. And from there, the first half at least, it didn't look all that promising. I thought Cuata played very well on the counter, even though you know they were the team who had to chase the goal, they still looked um, kind of more comfortable in that role, and especially with an Argentina defence which... Uh, teetered between the the clumsy and the downright disastrous. Um, they, I think, they were they had the break as well. In that case, of not conceding before before half time, and in the second half, it was all Argentina, and yeah, it could have finished three or four nil. Um, I'm actually gonna praise Scaloni. This is, I think, this is the first time uh, this tournament because he made a decent substitution. <laughs> He brought on he Marcos Acuna from Gio Lo Celso, and that really did tighten up the, the midfield. It Albeit is. against Equato, which team who were uh, desperate that by that point, but it it was a good sub, and it looks like that's that change is going to hold from this kickoff from kickoff uh, against Venezuela on Friday, because of course 
Argentina will be playing Venezuela following their 3-1 win over Bolivia, which got them second place in Group A behind Brazil and in front of Peru, the other qualifiers. Indeed. Um, what I will say is that it's much easier to make a good substitution when you're winning. As I, as in yes. fact I said on Hand Pod Extra on Sunday evening um, to my girlfriend, mm-hmm. so if, if you've ever wondered about the extra benefits of um, being a Patreon member and you're not already a Patreon member, one of them uh, is that if you were a Patreon member this last weekend, you got to hear my girlfriend making her podcast debut because... For some reason, she agreed to record Hand of Pod Extra with me at the weekend. Um, it's a lot easier to, to to make subs that don't necessarily need to change the game all that much. It's much easier, uh, more difficult to change the game with a substitution um, when you're behind. I, I know this because I've played an awful lot of football manager. Um, <laughs> but I, it, it, it kind of holds, you know, it, it, I, I thought it was very noticeable that the other two changes he made, I mean, perhaps not so much Dybala, given that... Um, Argentina, you know, started with two centre forwards and didn't have any on the bench. But the, the the first two changes that he made were like for like. Which was say, the first? Acuna, well, Acuna coming on for for the oh, yeah. I mean, the other which, one, which yeah. isn't exactly the same, but it's mm-hmm. not massively dissimilar in terms of the roles. And the other change was I'm just looking at my phone now. It was Juan Foyt coming off for Heraman Pizzela. Which I think Which is not more exactly to, the most imaginative. I think that owed more to the fact that Juan Foyt was one more clumsy tackle away from getting sent off. Exactly, yes. After about six or seven clumsy tackles over the course of the game. Yes. Uh, which makes sense, yeah. I can't fault that sub. You know, it's always better to take off a centre back than end up with just one on the pitch. The Qatari goalkeeper, by the way, is called Saad Al Sheeb. That's um, the defender who I think was the one who made the awful pass to Lautaro Martinez is Salim Al Hajri. But I'm just going on the um, uh, the ratings, the sofa score <laughs> ratings here. He's got a particularly low one. I actually, when it happened, I thought it was uh, Bassem Al Rawi. But I must admit that the commentators on Argentine television didn't seem overly concerned with getting anybody's name correct. Yeah, in the funny Quattro that. Team. Not um, only on the so quarter side, kind as of well. guessing the whole. Yeah. yeah, not always just on the quarter side. <laughs> so we'd be kind of guessing a lot of the time as to uh, whether this player has actually called something different to what the live score app calls him, or whether he's called something different to what's on his shirt, or whether it's just the commentators getting it wrong. Yes. But anyway, um, Argentina were better. They still weren't that good. They're still going to go out to the first properly decent team they face. Is that mm. going to be Venezuela? It's going to be a very difficult game. Um, Venezuela, what they've showed in these first couple of games, I must admit I couldn't watch the Bolivia match aside from a few highlights and the goals because at the same time Brazil were playing and I had work commitments to watch that game. Hmm. Um, But what I saw in the first two games they played, a little bit of good fortune with the VAR aside. I mean, yeah, they've had what they've con- they conceded five goals yeah. in the first two games, of which four were disallowed due to VAR, and the yeah. other was um, offside, so they didn't actually concede it because the flag was already up. Exactly. Does that I mean does that count as good fortune, or is it just the referees doing their job? I mean, Got yeah, it's, it's one well, of those. We say it's good it? fortune if those goals were disallowed normally by a referee. Mm, I don't know. Indeed, it, this is a philosophical question that what, is neither here nor there. What they did but, during the first two matches was play. Right on the limit of what the rules would permit them to concede. Uh, I as, believe as that's As opposed to, to like a defender who plays right on the limit of getting a yellow card, Venezuela were playing right on the limit of conceding goals, but managing not quite to do so. Yeah, maybe maybe there's that. some skill in that. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, overall, yeah, what we saw at least against the two more competitive sides in, in Group A, because I don't think Bolivia are really much of a... Uh, demonstration of anything these days apart from how not to play football uh, we saw a team that likes to sit very far back they um, build up right from from the goalkeeper uh, they have against Argentina eight or nine men behind the ball constantly and they won't have a problem uh, with playing out playing out for a draw in that match they'll be looking to get the ball up quickly to, to Rondon who's almost certain to to at least start the matches, they're solitary centre forward, and he's been playing very, very uh, solitarily in, um, in as I say, in those games against Peru and Brazil, which I think are the best gauge of Venezuela we've had so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can hurt you off the bench at least. They've got some very interesting attacking players who've 
who'd be making an appearance in kind of the last 20, 15 minutes of, of the games. Guys like Sotelo, who, who makes Messi look like a big, burly centre-back with his tininess. And Joseph Martinez, who was one of the guys who, who scored against Bolivia off the bench, the Atlanta United striker, of course. Hmm. So I don't think Argentina can take them lightly at all. I mean, it's hard to see... Aside, you know, aside from Argentina's notorious defensive uh, suicidal tendencies, where the goals are going to come from for Venezuela, but by the same token, it's not entirely easy to see how how Argentina are going to break them down. This, we're going to need to see a lot more from Messi at least, because he's going to be extremely crowded out in the middle of the field. I reckon Thomas Tomas Rincon is going to. Um, going to be following following him pretty much to the dressing room and and back and probably even on the team bus out of the stadium. Um, and so the onus is going to be on Messi and also uh, De Paul, who's in the last couple of games and and in what we've seen from from so far in the Copa, he's tried to be more of like of a creative partner for for Messi in the middle, or at least take some of the some of the pressure off him in that regard and I think he's done it better somewhat surprisingly than than Lo Celso who again is flattered to deceive I think is the kindest way to say it and I think I would have against uh, Quetta I think I'd have probably personally taken De Paul off rather than Lo Celso because um, to me he didn't seem to be quite firing right during the first half but during the second half after the substitution mm. was made um, I have to say I, I thought he was uh, much better as well he really kind of grew into the game oh yeah completely very very impressive performance um, and the, yeah so on. sorry so that's going to be the challenge for Argentina breaking down a brick wall um, it looks like they're going to stick with Aguero and Lautaro up front which means they should have plenty of firepower the question is can they get the ball to him in the box the other question is why is Lautaro uh, Leonel Scaloni been experimenting with Juan Foyt at right back in today's training sessions, and because he hates. I'm wondering whether he it hates might have, us and wants us to suffer. I think I'm wondering whether it might have something to do with the fact that Darwin Matisse scored two of Venezuela's goals against Bolivia from the left wing um, the other day on uh, Saturday. That one was on Saturday. Um, is he doing a Diego Maradona thing of assuming that sticking a centre-back at full-back uh, is going to be the more solid defensive option there? Well, he's already Does kind he of doing it. Does he want to give it, Sarabia yeah. a rest for some reason? What? Well, Sarabia has been... He's not been great, unfortunately, so far in the, the Copa America. He's been caught out a lot. The kind of right side of the fence has been an issue for Argentina. Um, not least because the rest of the defence, of course, has, has been rather slapdash. And yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that what um, what Scaloni is expecting to see uh, in Friday's game is a Venezuela team who, who are pretty much going to skip the midfield in the attack and really just punt the ball up to Rondon or, or down the wings and and try and force those errors um, with the uh, with the Argentina fullbacks uh, turning their backs or or being caught out. So what Foyt would give you in that case is someone who's not going to get forward at all. Um, but he's just going to stick almost as a third centre-back, very close to, to Petzela, I'm, I'm, I suppose, will play just inside him. And try, and try and shut down that avenue, because if he's got on that wing, Rodrigo de Paul ahead of him, it's not that much protection from the midfield, because mm. de Paul is not a defensive player. Whatsoever on the other side of midfield, of course, if you have Acuna, he gives you a little bit more, I think, uh, defensively, which would allow Taliafigo in turn to push a little bit further forward. So it's perhaps um, a sense of balance, but a back four which converts yeah. to a back three, something like that. Yeah, charging forward when Argentina have the ball. Yeah. I mean, if he wanted to, if he to kind of anticipate this this eventuality. He could have just taken Gabriel Marcao, right? Who can play at right back and centre back instead of just leaving him out and going to the Copa America with one natural right back. But that's a discussion for another day. Indeed, it is. Um, it's wrong, by the way. 
Yes, that's the discussion. Yes, so the the fixtures for the knockout round, as Dan says, are now completely set. We'll talk about. We'll mention what they are, rather than necessarily previewing every single one of them in great depth. So. Um, but they get underway tomorrow, Thursday uh, night, nine thirty p.m. So, yeah, nine thirty p.m. for some reason, and then because the other, they hate us. Yeah, it, it, it's very weird. Brazil play Paraguay mm-hmm. at nine thirty p.m. on Thursday. Argentina play Venezuela at four p.m. Um, bear in mind that we're in the same time zone as Brazil here, so yes. like our times are the host nation times, which is why I think it's a bit strange. Venezuela play Argentina at four p.m. on Friday. Colombia play Chile at eight p.m. on Friday, and Uruguay play Peru. I think it's at eight p.m. as well. On actually, it might be at four p.m. on Saturday. Um, oh, I've just realised I can just flick onto this next tab and actually see the kickoff times. Yes, it's at four p.m. on on Saturday. Um, is Uruguay versus Peru? Um, I, I don't really understand why Brazil are getting so many 9.30 kickoffs and everybody else is kicking off at more sensible times. I'm, I'm, guessing, for the same, yeah, I'm guessing for the same reason Brazilian teams always play in the Copa Libertadores yeah, at 9.45. Yeah, so because apparently it's it doesn't matter for the other teams. No, um, no, no. Also rather annoying is the fact that at the weekend they keep scheduling matches to directly clash with the Women's World Cup knockout stage, <laughs> um, which is infuriating it means mm. I've caught almost none of the Women's World Cup knockout stage very frustrating um, but yeah anyway um, of those ties Colombia-Chile I think could be good but it's very much going to depend which side of the bed Chile get out of in that morning yeah Colombia have been a little bit more consistent I think than, than Chile this this Copa America although Ah, oh, look, there's a, an Atlanta flag going up in the... Oh, so there is, on the television. On ESPN, that's nice to see. With some other crown and, I don't know, that seems like something the kids would be into. That crown PA, I don't know. Anyway. Um, it's probably a computer game. Something like that. Uh, back uh, on topic, though. Yes. Uh, Chile, I think, have surprised all of us, really, because they've been pretty terrible uh, since winning the last Copa America in 2016. They've not done a lot they weren't well they were sort of close to to qualifying for the World Cup but I don't think there was any uh, anyone really upset that they didn't um, or surprised even um, but yeah they've been they've been good uh, they were very good against Japan I thought although Japan were crap Japan were very crap um, yes and they threw them out yeah and they were Decent against Ecuador, they did what they had to do to get through. Uh, the Uruguay game, I only saw bits and pieces, but from what I saw, they could easily have, have nicked it as well. Uh, so yeah, I'd say out of the four quarterfinal games, all of them have the kind of their attractiveness and will be worth tuning into, I think. Uh, Chile-Colombia could be the, the pick of the bunch, although mm. I'd always do like to see a Brazil-Paraguay penalty shootout when Brazil go out in the Copa quarterfinals because it seems to happen every single year. Indeed, although in Brazil could be another matter. Uh, Brazil have won every Copa America they have played in their own country. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, we'll have to see what happens there. I think that, that probably is going to be a cakewalk. Although uh, history is on the side of Paraguay. Did you see the on. statistic? No, I didn't. Go on. In Copa America history, only three teams have managed to get out of the group stages without winning a single game. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexico, I believe in possibly 2001. When they reached the final. When they, okay. they're getting ahead oh, of me. Sorry. Paraguay in 2011 and Paraguay this year. Oh, wow. And Paraguay in 2011, of course, reached the final without winning any games. So on every occasion that a team has got to the knockout phase of a Copa America without winning a game they've gone on to reach the final my word so put all your pennies on on Paraguay reaching the final because it's and, obviously fate and then beating Venezuela or Argentina in the semis as well yeah of or, course well possibly not beating them but going them for out penalties. Penalties, yeah. beating um, is a lot for Paraguay but yeah, indeed it is just not losing is Uruguay well. against Peru you've got to say Uruguay are the favourites right I, I mean, mean I, I tend to think that basically most of this Copa America the football's been pretty bad so far. Um, yeah. It hasn't been like... I mean, I've seen a few, a lot of people, in fact, on Twitter being like, oh, the Copa America, the football's always crap. So I'm going to point out right now, in 2016, it was, it was brilliant. Yes. I, I 
continue and I will continue to insist until my dying day that that competition, that tournament shouldn't have taken place or at least that it shouldn't have <laughs> taken place where it did. Um, but that is not to say that it was not spectacularly entertaining. Um, Agreed. Exacerbated by the fact that it kicked off right in the middle of the most boring European Championship group stage anybody can ever remember. Um, but generally speaking, uh, the football at this Copa America has been rather dull. And when the football at the Copa America is rather dull, it tends to be won by Uruguay. This is true, yes. Um, because they're very, very good at winning games like that. That's another historical statistic, just like Paraguay not winning any games in the group stage but getting through, uh, that you can bet your house on. Football's crap, therefore Uruguay are going to win it. Yes. Also, Uruguay have won one in every three Copas America that's ever been played, <laughs> and it's been two since they last won one. So mm-hmm. it's written in the stars. Um, Peru could do them some damage if they wake up and have a few coffees or whatever um, before the game. But yeah, I suspect the Uruguay are favourites for that. Yes. Venezuela versus Argentina actually could be the one that's most on a knife edge. Venezuela got that 3-1 win mm-hmm. in Madrid in a friendly in, I wanted to say February, but was it March? Anyway, March. sometime yes. earlier this year. March. Um, but that was a friendly. This is a competitive game. It's, on the one hand, in terms of football history it's a much bigger fixture for Venezuela than it is for Argentina Um, on the other hand in terms of absolute need to win it it's a much bigger fixture for Argentina than it is for Venezuela Um, it's it's going to be interesting and it's going to be very very nervy I think it is going to be an extremely extremely tense affair more probably on the side of Argentina than Venezuela I'd imagine because at least Venezuela know what they, they're going to do, know what they have to do. I've done it many times before in, in Copas America and in other kind of one-off games. And they know they've got the players to do it. And it always helps having a really good keeper uh, behind that brick wall, as is Wilco Farinas. He's still only about 13 years old, it's remarkable. Yes, a little bit older, I think. Uh, maybe 14, 15 now, but... But he's a phenomenon, yes. I suppose I'd better look up how old he actually is. He's 21. Thank you. Right. Argentina are going to be a little more conflicted, I think, because obviously they're going to have to keep it tight to to avoid the counter. But since they're Argentina and they're playing against Venezuela, there's kind of this obligation to go forward and and kind of keep the ball and attack, which which might play its role as well. Um, I think it's going to be a very, very ugly game. But it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of um, compelling watching. Might not be entertaining, but it's certainly gonna be compelling. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to to see whether Scaloni is able to stick with and remain sticking with his convictions throughout as well. Uh, in as much as he appears to have any convictions, which I'm not really convinced by. But if he goes for a game plan and Argentina don't score really really early, mm. is he gonna get found out or? is that game plan going to have enough? Because one of the things that I thought on Sunday was on the one hand, yep, it's worked out now. They've won the game when it mattered. Scaloni's changes therefore appeared Mm -hmm. to have worked. The change of formation, uh, playing Martinez and Aguero up just in front of Messi. Um, On the other hand, if it weren't for that early defensive howler, Argentina being completely gifted a goal, I mean, on the one hand, there was a very definite... I'm going back to saying on the one and on the other now, aren't I? There was a very definite uh, change of emphasis from Argentina. Martinez's shot for the goal was their third of the game, three minutes in. in yeah, and they were all Previously, over, yeah. they had managed like three shots in the whole match against <laughs> Colombia and three shots in the whole match against Paraguay. I'm not exaggerating. I, the, the numbers might not be exactly that, but it was something like that. Um, so there was a very definite change in emphasis. They, I think they had 11 shots in the first half, if I remember rightly, against Quata. Um But you do kind of think, well, OK, if, I don't know, if if that chance had never presented itself to Martinez, or if the goalkeeper had recovered spectacularly and foiled him, or if he'd scuffed it just wide, mm. and if it had still been nil-nil, and if it had still been nil-nil after 20 minutes, that's when you need to know, right, how are the team going to react to this? Are they going to have the conviction and the belief in the manager and, and the belief in each other to continue playing the same way to get the win? Is the manager going to remain calm or panic or whatever? 
Um, and we still haven't seen that yet from Argentina. I'm not saying that I um, definitely it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's it's the kind of test that we've not seen. I think that, as you said when you started talking about the game, they got lucky mm-hmm. with the with the early goal. Um, it's going to be interesting to see against a Venezuela side who I suspect aren't going to give up an early goal quite as easily, at least. You wouldn't think so, no. Uh, judging on what they've done so far in the tournament, or at least if they concede an early goal, they're 80-90% likely to, to see it chalked off by, by VAR. Indeed, current yeah. form. statistically speaking. Yeah. I think one of the, the problems for this Argentina team is, as the whole renewal of generations the changes that have come, which were necessary, I don't think anyone would dispute that, as that process is, um, has been carried out, it has left them kind of short of leadership, I think. Obviously, Scaloni kind of hasn't shown uh, much, uh, much indication that he could uh, lead anything more than a, than a dirty dish into, into the sink. But on the pitch as well, I mean, the guys who've, who are kind of more senior, the guys who have got more than 20 caps, at least at, at international level, uh, like Messi, Aguero, Otamendi. I mean, those three, they're not the most kind of vociferous characters, right? They're I mean, very in fairness, I think head down, play their own game. In Otamendi's case, I'm not own. sure you'd want him to be vociferous because he'd probably be telling everybody within earshot to do the wrong thing all the I time. I mean, this is a fair but, point, but... You you understand my yeah I from. mean I I do Aguero um, is... I mean this is the reason Machirano stayed in the international setup a good three years beyond itself by Indeed, day because yeah. he was so important with just grabbing people by the neck the scruff of the neck while kicking them up the ass absolutely um, Aguero is is somebody who uh, the way I saw somebody I've completely forgotten who it was I can't even remember which language I read it in on Twitter uh, put it was that if Aguero had been was any other nationality. Then he would be an absolutely indisputed starter. No manager for any other country would be able to come in and go, "Yeah, I don't particularly rate him, so I'm going to start this guy instead." Um, but he wouldn't necessarily be a captain for any no, of those no. teams. Um, Messi is somebody who leads more by example on the pitch than than by his words. I mean, one of the things that I think gets overlooked sometimes is that if uh, a teammate plays a suicide pass, you know, within earshot of Messi or, or whatever, or, or too messy, or if he doesn't, if somebody doesn't get quite something quite right, Messi will sometimes. The camera obviously normally doesn't stay with them, but he will sometimes pull them over and and say, you know, next time you get them all in yeah. that situation, play it this way instead because that's how we we, we want it to be played. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's not a, a Roy Keane figure, let's no. say, which obviously means that in fifteen or twenty years' time, we're not going to be looking back and thinking, "Oh God, it turned out he was a bell end all along." No, no, as, as we do with Roy Keane. <laughs> Although that wasn't a particularly yeah. surprising revelation. Yeah. I'll but, make the um, comparison possibly with what happened with Racing this year and with the figure of uh, Lisandro Lopez. Yeah, he's a guy who's obviously a fantastic player. His record speaks for himself, but he led on the pitch for Racing, kind of both by example and just by sheer force of personality, kind of. Um, what he did for that team, just drove him through to keep winning games, keep grinding out results. And he's not, he's also not kind of the most, you know, he's not a shouty man. He's not uh, someone who will just give you the hairdryer treatment for the sake of it because you, you gave away a five yard pass. But, but he, he's got that kind of knack of inspiration and just being able to grab people and push them forward with him. And, I mean, Messi doesn't. I think that's safe to say, and it's never really been noticed before because he's always had those kind of leaders around him. The problem is he's in a situation with Argentina now, where it's a young team, or or at least an inexperienced team. It's not particularly young, at least uh, in any case. But and possibly they are just missing someone who will give them up a boot out the arse every now and then. Yeah. Um... They I'm are. sure Messi's boot wondering... would be perfectly placed and, and exquisite <laughs> if he did it, but it's just not his style. I'm wondering whether there's anybody who's not in the team who could have been called up to provide that, but I don't think there is, realistically. Probably not, I mean, because it would have to be someone new, and it would take yeah. someone with a lot of balls to just come in and start no, shouting exactly. at Messi. It would have to be Mascherano, who clearly isn't going to be in the team. 
We can wheel him um, out. You know. and, and if he was, then yeah. we'd be complaining about it. We could wheel him out in the centre half, into the centre circle at least for penalties or something. I don't. Could yeah. work. Um, so at this point, we've got then the semi-finals will be Brazil or Paraguay against Venezuela or Argentina, and Colombia or Chile against Uruguay or Peru. We're going to hazard a guess at predicting those games, or uh, well, I'm going to say that I I think it's. I'm going to predict the other one first. Uh, <laughs> the other one's going to be Colombia versus Uruguay. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. The, uh, Brazil are going to win theirs, and uh, Venezuela against Argentina, I just don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, more likely, I think, is Brazil against Argentina. Um, but it's a knife edge because of the fact that Argentina are their own worst enemies. I've just preempted one of the questions that we've had, but I mean, there you go, the answer's yes. yes. Uh, before we get to it. It, it's so much closer than it should be. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, Argentina are their own worst enemies on the pitch. They're, their own worst enemies, are the players themselves, are dealing with these really high-pressure games. Um, and they're also, it, not the players, but the AFA are mm. Argentina's own worst enemies in terms of, you know, little things like, for example, sending the national team to a major international tournament without a manager. Um. To provide a segue to the other thing we were going to talk about. Managing so badly a third-tier league competition yes. that uh, one team found themselves driven to hold a sit-down protest. Indeed. And that seems like a good enough time to call a half-time break and explain what the hell Dan's talking about when we come back from this piece of theme music. talking about just then before the music I was talking about the Federal A final promotion playoff because there have been about six or seven different phases that are very hard to to follow mm. um, but I believe this was the final one at least between Alvarado de Mar del Plata and San Jorge de Tucumán which uh, was a two-legged affair the first leg, which I now know since Sam has helpfully put it up on the computer, finished yeah. 0-0. And in Tucumán. In Tucumán. And the second leg in Mar del Plata finished, sort of, 1-0 to Alvarado. But, of course, it didn't finish because um, I think about six minutes into the second half and after having two players sent off and, I believe, a rather questionable goal... Uh, given against them, Alvara, uh, San Jorge's players decided to sit down on the field in protest at what they saw was pitiful refereeing. Um, not just pitiful, biased against them. Um, the entire team sat down. Um, the game obviously ground to a halt. There were all sorts of reporters on the field uh, interviewing the players as they sat down in the middle of the game. And about Five or ten minutes later, um, uh, the entire team walked off. So I assume the game... I mean, we can never be too sure uh, with the AFA and whatnot, but I assume the game has been abandoned and the win given to Alvarado, who will go up to the Nacional B for the coming season. Yeah, I was trying to find uh, details on my phone of the... um... Neither of my live apps have actually got the, the, the game on them, uh, which is a bit annoying because apparently it wasn't just the two pen, men sent off. They also had, like, seven players booked, apart from those, before half-time. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, to add just a little bit more colour to this, is that the AFA's um, Consejo Federal, uh, which is the, like, the federal... Tr- um, uh, God, I'm forgetting words in English, never mind in Spanish. Uh, the Confederal Committee. Yes. Yeah, the Federal Committee. Um, 
which is the body that runs the lower leagues that are indirectly affiliated to the AFA, I think it's very confusing. Yeah, they, I think that's what they essentially do. run most of the football in the interior of yeah. the country, which is anywhere really outside Buenos Aires. Uh, the head of the yeah. disciplinary tribunal mm-hmm. stepped down on ah. Monday, I think it was. It might have been yesterday. Oh, citing know. as his reasons the fact that that match was rigged. Right. So... One of the AFA's directors resigned and said, basically, the lower leagues are all bent. Mm-hmm. Um, which, even by the standards of the AFA, <laughs> is, is pretty out there. Uh, when you've got, like, you know, whispers behind closed doors that this or that game might be fixed. And then the guy who's in charge of appointing referees to all of the games and deciding on d- dis- disciplinary sanctions mm-hmm. says, no, I can't do my job anymore. This isn't honest. Um it's an interesting thing to happen. Yeah, it's not ideal. I think um, one thing we should point out uh, at this point is that for me it wasn't just this game. This was, if you like, the the straw that broke the, the camel's back because the refereeing has been uh, under the microscope really throughout this these kind of latter stages of the Federal A competition. I saw, I think I shared this video on Twitter shortly after it happened, and I had some quite a few comments making allusions to um, the Cameroon women's team, who apparently did something similar against England in the World Cup, and saying, ah, and they got criticised. I didn't see the game, but this is... Yeah, they were filthy. The gist of it, I got yeah. there, and they weren't happy about how that game was refereed. Am I right? Something like that? Uh, they took issue with some clearly not... Well, they took issue with, with a couple of decisions that could have gone either way and they also took issue with at one point an offside decision for one of England's goals uh, which turned out to be completely correct because they checked right. it on VAR and it was like no this this was onside and okay. they continued to um, complain that it wasn't even though they had a video showing them that it was right anyway so what I, from what I gathered um, some people were very harsh in their criticisms of uh, the Cameroon women's team other people were very harsh in their criticisms of the criticisms, saying that they were out of order. And so somehow my tweet about a third-tier Argentine team became a forum for saying, ah, look, but when men do it, no one says any, nobody says anything. Uh, it's uh, sexists, racists, all the ists you can imagine. Um, because San Jorge were, were out of line in doing this. So I think it's, yeah... I think it's fair to point out in this case that it wasn't just about this game. Um, all through these these last phases, there have been very questionable decisions. I believe the most egregious came in Estudiantes de San Luis. Right? Go on, yeah. I'm waiting to see where you're going with this. Um, their game against Sarmiento de Residencia uh, mm-hmm. from Chaco. Okay. And Sarmiento were absolutely fuming about some of the decisions that were made in that in that match, which saw San Luis take one of the um, one of the two, I believe, promotion spots ahead of what would have been that would be uh, in the Nacional Bay, wouldn't it? No, no, this sorry, is in the, the Federal, uh, Federal A in the Pentagonal, I believe. Uh-huh. right. Let's have a look. Yeah. So we could you could say that the um, that the guards were already up at this point. Ah, real. Estudiantes de Rio Cuarto, then. That's the one. He finished ahead of Sarmiento with a win in the last game, which was very, very questionably refereed. Yes. And leaving, then there's the Rebali yes. now, which is to decide the other position from that group, and that's what Alvarado and San Jorge de Tucumán were playing. Exactly, yes. So, refereeing was already very much under the spotlight going into that game, and it was, yeah, an accumulation of very, um, very strange refereeing decisions... Uh, this this feeling that the big t- the bigger teams or kind of the teams that have uh, the backing of provincial governments or or other kind of powerful entities like that were getting the upper hand. I believe Alvarado It's since emerged that they've they have a lot of connections with um, Facundo Moshano apparently, who is of course the son of. Independiente Vice President Hugo Marciano, who in turn is the father-in-law of AFA President Chiquitapia. 
Indeed. So, yeah, I mean, Argentine football is an internal six degrees of separation. You never, in especially kind of with these directors, you never have to go far to find these links between between all of them. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, San Jorge felt that they were being unduly punished and they were already very watchful given what had happened to Sarmiento. And they thought, no, fuck it, this is enough. Uh, we're not taking it. No, and, and also just you know to round the circle off, mm. as it were, or well, not really, it's still open, but um, uh, AFA president Chiqui Tapia's um, team, Barracas Central, of course, this season won the Primera B, which is the other third division. Uh, they won it by a mile. They did. Um, in what just happens to be his first season as AFA president. Mm-hmm. What a coincidence. Um, none of Hand of Pod's team are suggesting anything other than coincidence here, just in case any of AFA's lawyers are listening. Uh, but I do again feel it's worth repeating that the head of the tribunal of uh, the disciplinary tribunal of the federal committee of the AFA stood down thinking or saying to everybody <laughs> that the games were bent. Um, yes, also in the Primera B, there were four teams that went up automatically. The others were Estudiantes de Buenos Aires. I'm sorry for so many Estudiantes. I don't name the teams. I would put a lot more imagination in it, but in pretty much every single city in the country, especially those that have got a university, there is a team called Estudiantes, so we've just got to live with it. Estudiantes de Buenos Aires, their president is off, is also a big wig of some sort, and he, he's held sway, so there was obviously suspicion around why they were doing so well and of course Deportivo Rietra uh, went up and Deportivo Rietra if we remember um, back to two years ago went up from that same division the Primera vez, in absolutely scandalous circumstances yes. against Comunicaciones mm. when their fans rushed the pitch about was it six seven minutes from the end and and caused the game to be to be abandoned with with Riestra one goal up against Comunicaciones, and what the decision at that point was to rearrange the game uh, at least the last six minutes, um, and and funnily enough, it finished in a draw and Riestra went up, albeit with I think a twelve point deduction or something like that, mm. which saw them go straight down, and now they've gone straight back up again. Okay. The only team, of course, who are beyond suspicion because. They would never stoop to these shady methods. Is Atlanta, who went up by their own merits? Of course they did. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult because in the lower leagues and within this kind of uh, this pyramid of Consejo Federal, the Consejo Federal, I think it's fair to say, were more than anyone behind Tapia's election because they really got behind him and. And supported his bid, they were they were his power base. Let's say along with the lower league teams, because Tapia had not much support from from the top flight outside, perhaps of Independiente because of the the connections with Moshano. But yeah, he he really did get there on the back of his his connections in in the lower leagues in in the shadows, let's say. And I, I wouldn't want to go so far as to say he's repaying favors for. For where he got to, but there have definitely been some some interesting goings on in in that level. I think that's fair to say. Yes. Uh, did we have something else to talk about before we go on to questions? I don't think so. I think in we're free case, to go on to questions. Let's go on to listeners' questions. We've got a few. We have Dakota Andres says, "Are there any Argentines on your radar with looks from MLS? I'm a Columbus Crew fan and would love to get some Superliga players to come here." I mean, Barrasquillot has already been to Columbus Crew, so he's. And he's quite old, so he's probably not going to be going back there as a player. No, but he is there as a manager. And, in LA. Uh, sorry, in MLS, yes. I meant to say, yes, with LA Galaxy, who I saw a tweet earlier today. I'm not sure how much there is in it, but mm. it's been linked for a while now. Christian Pavon. Um, pause to let that motorbike go past. Uh, Christian Pavon um, has... Uh, somewhat perhaps fallen from grace mm. given that a year ago he was being linked with Barcelona and Arsenal and all sorts of other uh, big European sides um, seems like he's going to be moving to LA Galaxy uh, I wrote an article for MLSsoccer.com about three weeks ago two weeks ago um, 
which was a profile of, of Pavon. You can check it out um, there. I'll try and remember to put a link on Twitter or something when, when I tweet the episode out. Cracking um, plug there, Sam. Very but, nicely done. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you to, to Andres for giving yeah. me the uh, the excuse to, to plug it. Um, any others, though? There, I mean, there, there must be others, but I've not been paying much attention to the transfer no, window because I'll, the Copa America... Yeah, I must well admit, at this point, I've been avoiding the, the transfer rumour mill with, um, like, the plague. Um, perhaps once the Copa America finishes, I'll pay some more attention, but perhaps not. In, in short... Some of the questions that are about club football, while there's international football on, we might not really have very good answers for. But yeah. if you ask them again in a couple of weeks' time, or maybe in one week's time when we're talking about Argentina's elimination yeah. at the hands of Venezuela, um, then uh, then we might have better answers for you. Yes. Dan Colasimon says, are you going to do anything special for Hop 500? Still a long way away, unfortunately. Yes. Well, um, two years, even more, possibly. I would think yeah. a bit less, because now that we're recording more weeks than not, we're getting about 40 or so, 45 episodes per year, but it's still going to be in more than a year's time. It's going to be the mm. second half of next year, probably. Um, I responded to him to that effect. He has said that he's probably coming over for the Copa America next year, though. So That'd be exciting. Hopefully, we'll have Australian Dan back on the pod. That won't mean very much to an awful lot of you uh, but to those of you who have been listening right from the start it's an exciting development it is yes we're all very excited indeed um, Shreyas Rao I hope I've said that correctly says will a 4-3-1-2 with Paredes Acuna and De Paul forming the midfield and Messi Aguero and Lautaro up front give Argentina the right shape to help in defence and attack Acuna and De Paul can cover for the fullbacks or provide the width so just to clarify, that is what the Argentina eleven's looking like at yes. the moment. Um, we're expecting it to be Franco Aramani in goal, either Renzo Sarabia or Juan Foyt at right-back. Germán Petzela and Nicolás Otamendi as the centre-backs. Or Foyt, I'm guessing, if he doesn't go to right-back. Possibly, but I think it, they, he seems to be preferring Petzela at the right. moment in centre-back. Uh, Nicolás Tagliafico at left-back, and then the midfield and the, the attack that, uh, that Shreyas uh, mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's clearly the, the shape for the same reasons as when I was talking with Andres last week ahead of the, the Quata game. You know, it was just obvious that two centre forwards ahead of Messi uh, gives the midfield and gives Messi a bit more space to operate in because it forces the opponents to not commit quite so many men forward. And it just gives you something to aim at, right? If you've got a that team well. which isn't much of a team and isn't going to stand out doing anything particularly intelligent or pretty on the pitch to get the ball up. Stick two guys up there and and you double your chances. I mean, it's not that um, it's not much more complex than that. I don't think. Um, with respect to Acuna, I mean, from what we saw against Quatar, he's going to give you a little bit more cover. Or the albeit, again, it's hard to really accurately uh, state that given that when Acuna was, came on the pitch, that was when Cuatar became a little bit desperate, obviously, because time was running out, and and so the, the holes began to appear, and I think it was a little bit easier. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the right call um, to have Acuna in there. Uh, Stephen Hooley says, is there an actual date for when the fixtures will be announced for next season? Or can we at least narrow it down to a month, or will the AFA just draw them week by week each Friday? I think um, it's the 32nd of November. Okay. We can expect that's, the fixtures. Yes. I would think it'll come out more seriously. I, th- I think they'll probably come out quite soon after, if not slightly before the, the Copa America final. I mean, they um, have to, right? Because it's kicking to release... off, what, the 20th or so? Yeah, I mean, they, they tend to release the fixtures for the season yeah. in advance, and then we'll probably see something like what we've seen for the last couple of seasons, um, where, well, sorry, we, something similar to what we saw last season, which is getting all of the days and kickoff times um, for about three or four months in advance, because uh, obviously the first season they tried to do it for the whole season, and that ended up going pear shaped when teams, you know, <laughs> got to the final of the Libertadores and stuff, yes. uh, which they weren't expecting. Um, but yeah, it'll happen at some point. But again, not sure exactly when ex- now, but it it will happen. You'll get them in advance. Um, Daniel Tunnard says, "Has there ever been a man who can swim faster than a shark?" Depends on the man. I mean, depends on the shark, I guess. Like, maybe a nurse shark. You know, they're pretty bulky. Uh, There might be a few swimmers who would fancy their chances against him, but, you know, 
a big great white oh, God, I can't see it happening the water being their natural habitat I think the sharks have a somewhat unfair advantage they definitely have the edge there yeah but in, in this nice. competition Michael Phelps maybe if anyone yeah yeah. he'd have to be the, the only person you'd really put your money on realistically yes. Carlos Palacios that's loads of questions uh, the first of which is do you think Argentina are playing badly because they don't stay true to their historical way of playing of 4-3-1-2 I know that not having a coach is a huge part of the problem but I feel that not playing a 4-3-1-2 with a playmaker is messing them up I mean they are playing it now and the playmaker is Messi not messing it you see what I'm going for Indeed. Yeah. Um, no I'm, I think if 4-3-1-2 hasn't been uh, the favoured formation for Argentina teams because it's shown kind of on a it's been demonstrated on a world level that it's not a particularly modern or a particularly effective formation for, for modern football I mean can you think of many uh, Primera clubs Superliga clubs who play 4-3-1-2 no um, River and Boca at least don't and I asked Carlos to, to I ask Carlos as much as anything out of interest because it's always interesting to see what how other people interpret a formation I think because of the fact that a lot of it has to do with what uh, you're telling the players to go out and do from those starting positions mm-hmm. uh, affects enormously the shape of the team. And so to, I, I thought it was a 4-3-1-2, broadly speaking. Um, I asked Carlos out of interest. He said he thought it was more of a 4-1-2-3. He didn't consider Messi to be playing as a, a playmaker, um, in his opinion. I, Especially during the first half, I thought Messi was playing um, very deep. Yeah, not necessarily in in the sense that I have criticised Argentina for making him play in the past, where he was having to drop deep to get the ball. I was thinking this could be the Messi that we see when he goes into his you know the latter stage it's of his dotage. career and has to yes. drop deeper and um, in order anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. He's going to become closer to the midfield. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see the different shapes that people see on the pitch. Yeah. Um, I do know what what Carlos means about a, a playmaker. I mean, sure, Messi's a bit more of a a dribbler and a forward and, and a sort of a hybrid attacking player mm-hmm. than an out-and-out playmaker. But by and large, I, I agree with Dan. I mean, yeah. there isn't a Riquelme either in Argentina or really in world football now. Nobody no. has that specialised role anymore. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so I can't see why Argentina should be striving for it. I mean, even the most celebrated Argentina team of all time in 86, they didn't have a playmaker. It was... Maradona playing just behind Valdano. It was a four-four-one-one. Uh, well, well, no, uh, five. Ex- I was going to say one-one. Yeah. So uh, you know, with with uh, with Bilardo essentially inventing the five-three-two with wingbacks to Indeed. get the best out of Maradona. Yeah. Um, so how much it has to do with the historical way of playing? Yeah, I don't know. Historical um, yeah. way of playing. If, if you go back six decades, then the historical way of playing would have been a good old-fashioned three-two-five. Indeed. With La Machina across the front line. And yeah, sure, you can win everything with that. <laughs> Especially playing against 1940s and 1950s defences. Um, but no, you have to adapt with the times, I think. Yeah. It, it's it's interesting. I think the current side, the current shape of the side, Scaloni, I think, has stumbled on something now, which with enough time and enough faith um, could turn into a decent team if given the time to... Yeah, and, and the time to work together. But I'm still big not if. sure. It's a very big. I'm, I'm still far from convinced that Scaloni is the correct manager to no. to take them through that process. But you know, as a starting point, I think it's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos also asks, "Do you guys think that for the past thirty years, uh, so how far does that go back? Nineteen eighty-nine. Argentina's problem has been Argentina. I feel they make dumb decisions for dumb reasons when it comes to the national team. So, as I was saying earlier, they're, they're their own worst enemy." Um, Redondo was left out in 98, Riquelme and Saviola were left out in 2002, Beron and Sanetti were left out in 2006, Riquelme out of 2010. Um, he then replies to himself saying Maradona as a coach in 2010 was dumb as well. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Uh, not hiring Sabella sooner than late 2011 was stupid, Tevez being left out in 2014. I'm going to take issue with that one in a minute. Letting Martino go and everything that happened leading up to 2018. We've said that a load of times on Pod. And, well, you guys see what's going on now. Do you think Argentina's problem is Argentina? Yeah. Yeah, certainly there's there's part of that. I I might take exception with uh, 
some of the examples uh, that Carlos has used there. Te- Tevez was left out in 2014 because Tevez hadn't played a good match for Argentina for about seven years mm-hmm. by the time 2014 rolled around. So um, well, I the only had, people yeah. who were upset by it were people who hadn't been watching enough of him in an Argentina shirt. And Savilla, I think 2010, when obviously the decision was made to, to replace Maradona, he was very committed with Estudiantes, obviously he'd just mm-hmm. come from uh, winning the Libertadores, um, taking them to, to the Club World Cup final against Barcelona, almost winning. And Re- Redondo, if I remember correctly in the end... Uh, he certainly had problems with Passarella, well, but Redondo I believe was left it was out in his... because he refused to cut his hair. Yes, I which, believe which in the end it was his really decision. Yeah, well, it was his decision in as much uh, I, I, because I was um, I wrote something for which mm. I had to research this fairly recently. Yeah. I can't remember what it was on. Oh, I was on a uh, I don't know when that's coming out. Actually, I was on a podcast about Gabriel Batistuta. Oh. Somebody asked me about his relationship yeah. with with. Uh, uh, Passarella and because I had the questions all in advance I was able to do some proper research and what happened with Redondo was that Passarella um, just banned everybody who refused to have their hair cut from the national team mm-hmm. and then had a change of heart brought on by his this is really quite sad uh, brought on by his son getting hit by a train mm. uh, and dying um, and it made Passarella rethink how he treated various people in his life including a bunch of players in the national team so he phoned up Fernando Redondo and said look I'm really sorry for how I treated you uh, I'd like to call it I, I want to make you a starting midfielder for Argentina but you know please j- just cut your hair and Redondo basically went no I don't want to cut my hair why are you obsessed with me cutting my hair stop it and that's why he didn't get called up yeah, so I think that definitely fits in with the stupid and dumb decisions yeah um, Raquel in 2010 so. was a case of him stepping back mm. He admits uh, a dispute with Maradona, of course, which, you know, having Maradona there obviously didn't help matters. But, yeah, it was Raquelme's decision. And I think if he hadn't decided to uh, to step back, he would have been in the team for, uh, for 2010. Carlos also says, do you guys think that Argentina would have had a better chance to win the Copa America 2011 if Sabella had been the coach? Yeah. Yeah. Because they'd have had a proper manager. Yeah. Unlike Sergio Batista, who was <laughs> awful. Um, I'm going to go back down quickly and say, uh, although Carlos has another couple of questions, but first of all, Liam Kelly, who's no relation to me, says, are River going for another season without a shirt sponsor? Uh, you talked about this the other week, right, with the Armenians. They've mentioned a, a few things, um, but I don't think anything's been signed yet, as far as I know, but I don't particularly care. Plus, I'm one of those people who kind of hopes that they are, because it just looks so much nicer without a shirt it sponsor. Does. Um, he also says, what the hell happened in the Federal app playoffs? Some questionable refereeing and a sit-down protest. Haven't seen anything like it. Well, we've answered that one already for you, hopefully, Liam. Um... Then back to Carlos, who says, Did Batistuta and Riquelme ever play together? If so, when and is there footage? I don't know. I can't remember a particular game, no. They might have Riquelme played wasn't at 98, obviously. No. By the time 2002, or maybe 2002, but no, Riquelme hadn't come through by that point to Ladi, really, to the national team. I don't think so. Um, so, probably not, is the answer. Yeah. Possibly... No, and Argentina, of course, didn't go to the Copa America 2001. Mm-hmm. Maybe Copa America 2003. Or at some point in qualifying 2000 and 2001. Yeah, possibly. You, you look on YouTube. That'll yeah. be where the footage is, if there is. We anywhere. can't remember a specific match or brilliant link-up goal that they scored. So No. Um, and then there's a bit of a discussion, uh, the aforementioned conversation that we had with Carlos uh, on Twitter while trying to work out the answer to his first question. Um... Lee Bartlett says, what was going on at the Alvarado versus San... Oh, that's the same question as uh, Liam Kelly asked a minute ago. So There's again. a second bit, which is interesting. So Lee's full tweet is, what was going on at the Alvarado versus San Jorge de Tucumán playoff final second leg? We've answered that one. Can it be assumed that formal action will be taken against San Jorge? Um, Doesn't seem so. I think no, I don't think so. Getting the game abandoned and losing is probably as much punishment as they're going to get yeah. especially as Sam says if the head of the disciplinary committee is also stepped down well was on their side before he stopped being um, and then Lee's final question of this tweet is was their sit down protest justified Christ I don't know didn't see the game no that, that's a really boring question yeah. uh, answer um Lee has met me several times, so that's probably the answer he was expecting me to give <laughs> but uh yeah sorry Lee I mean it seems to have caused a couple of waves and at least made people realise that something might 
be wrong with um, with the refereeing at lower league level. So I don't know if that means it's justified, but it might end up being positive. Who mm. knows? We'll see what... I mean, I'm sure we'll come to this point next season, uh, next year, and, and nothing much would have changed. Quite. Tom Robinson, have either of you seen the Maradona documentary and how has it been received over there? I have not. Nor have I. It hasn't uh, had that much... I mean, aside from it being Maradona, people are aware it's been released, and you know, people are interested in going to see it, probably. But yeah, Yeah. it's not like been nobody's been raving about it or anything. I I mean, living in Argentina is like living through a constant twenty-four hour a day. You get Maradona documentary. Personally, Maradona documentary. I'm going to say this now: I'm not going to see it. Um, uh, if, if if it yeah. comes on TV or something late at night, and I have to be flicking through the channels, then I might watch it for a bit. But I have no interest because I've just got, as you were going to say before I started talking over you, down fatigue. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing to you. If I happen upon it on some late night channel, um, I'll watch it. I wouldn't. Yeah, but aside from that, no. Um, Johnny says, I think that the Argentine that's term carrying on. The oh, that's still carrying on the same crest. conversation. Sorry, Johnny. Um, in a strange <laughs> yes in, in a horrible way uh, Tom also says what next for Ariel Olan another Superliga job another move within South America or further afield I don't know really I think if he'd have left Independiente uh, a year or six months ago he would have pretty much every team in the country in Mexico and and beyond calling for him but he didn't he didn't end up very. He didn't end his time at Independiente very well, um, and I think he's still, aside, uh, despite everything he managed with Independiente, and I thought he did a very, very good job there. Um, I think he still does carry the stigma of being a hockey coach. Some people look at him and think, "I, I think but you're a hockey coach." Yeah, that's interesting. I think, yeah, yeah. For me, he still carries that a little bit, and mm. that's why um, we have. I mean. Aside from the fact that none of the big jobs are open at the moment, of course, in Argentina. And I mean, I can't see him being in the running for, for the Argentina job, for example. Just I've, seen, of I've seen a his, couple of his background. And I, I was going to say, I've seen a couple of whispers, and they're probably just, just sort of rumour um, rumours that, that have been going around in the last couple of days by, by people who don't particularly like the club involved and yeah. just want to make their fans suffer a bit because that's the kind of thing that happens in Argentina. But I have seen a couple of whispers that um, Marcelo Gachardo might be up for taking the Argentina job at the end of the year mm-hmm. due to some uh, oh due to, due to unpaid wages that River have apparently mm. you know been keeping on the quiet according to this person who I've right. never heard of before on Twitter. <laughs> if something like that were to happen, and mm. again. Don't think it's going to. No reason to believe what he's saying, but I'm using this as an example. If something like it were to happen and Orlan was to get linked with the River job as a result, you'd be pretty surprised, I think. It, it mm. doesn't... Mostly, not so much because he didn't manage to do anything with Independiente, but mostly because of the sort of slight cloud he seems to be leaving the club yeah. under. I, I, I don't think that, as you say, none of the big clubs are uh, available at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it'd be hard to see any of them really going for. Although we're talking about Argentine clubs, the judgment's not always the best. So, well, this is true. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I, I would expect to see Olam back in football in some capacity mm-hmm. before too long. Maybe for another sort of smaller, in inverted commas, club similar to Defensive DCS level. Although, of course, they've already appointed. I can't remember who, but they've yeah. already appointed the Perhaps, successor. Uh, Lanús, Banfield, exactly, yeah. Estudiantes, that kind of Vélez, second tier. Yeah, Vélez. Perhaps if Fainse went to the national team, hmm. we're into complete fantasy football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just territory just now, to clarify, but... just to repeat once again, Gabriel Hainse and Marcelo Gachardo, as Andres and I said last week, might very well be the best realistic options for the national team uh, but that isn't the same thing as saying that they're actually anywhere near um, agreeing a deal with the AFA or indeed that the AFA are approaching them definitely not no not happening that wasn't sarcasm when Dan said definitely not he was being serious yes I think and Hand of Pod is being serious in this although definitely. I know it is difficult sometimes to tell yes definitely yes um, that's it those are all of our listeners questions for the week do you have anything to add Dan this week no, I think we've said it all. Um, obviously, we're going to be watching with bated breath this Friday as, as Argentina take on mighty Venezuela. 
Indeed, um, we are. And I'm just sorry. Uh, I've got my phone because I'm just looking at the um, dates for the semi-finals. Mm. So carry on. I believe they are next week, Tuesday, and second and the third of July. Second and the third of July. Are, um, so that'll be yeah the third. Uh, <laughs> oh, hang on, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. I can check. Yes, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. Wonderful. So possibly recording Thursday next week, so that we can. That would make sense. Yes, go through to this. If if Argentina win, shock horror. Um, on when did we say Friday? So we'd be uh, reviewing. Then it wouldn't uh, make much sense to record yes. on Monday, for instance. Um, so so we're re- reviewing on Thursday. We will we'll be. We'll be reviewing a glorious 3-0 victory over Brazil in the semi-finals yes. and the final against Peru, I'm guessing. Yeah, because, Pre- previewing Argentina's capitulation yeah. on penalties to Peru in the final. While keeping an eye out on Sam's balcony for flying pigs. That as well. Um, on that note, we will say goodbye to you. We will leave you for another week. Uh, we're going, of course, now to record Hand of Pod Extra. For our Patreon supporters, if you want to get in on the action, hear what my girlfriend's voice sounds like, um, and you know, actually get loads more content each week, which is top quality. Yes. Uh, all of our Patreon Definitely. supporters regale us with uh, stories about how much they enjoy it all the time, and we're just too embarrassed and self-conscious mm-hmm. to actually share this on social media. We don't media. like to teeter our own horns. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to do that now. Um, then you can go to patreon.com slash handofpod. It's a really easy address to remember um please do that thank you very much to those of you who are doing it already um for now thanks and goodbye from english dam thank you and good night and from me thank you and goodbye